almost every night I would lay awake just replaying our birth experience and my heart would just race. And I would think of all the things that I should have, could have done differently. And honestly, I was just so mad at myself for not speaking up. I just had laid there panicked and a deer in headlights. And why didn't I say anything on behalf of me and my child is all I could really think about. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, everyone. My name is Katie, and I live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago with my husband, my two-year-old daughter, and eight-month-old son, and two dogs. Um, And this is the story of what I like to call my redemption birth and how I recognized some trauma I had from my first child's birth and how that led me to having an unmedicated birth with my second. All right, great. Why don't you start off by telling us a little about your first birth? So really, I had desires for a more natural birth process with my first uh, pregnancy, but admittedly, I I didn't really know much about it. I wasn't very educated or prepared, and I kind of just had a a laissez-faire attitude and really had a lot of trust, honestly, in my provider that everything was just going to be fine. And I did communicate my desire for a more natural birth, but other than that, it kind of stopped there with my OB. Was it kind of the message of like, we'll have to, we'll we'll see how that goes. Like, that's nice for you. It was absolutely. I mean, it might not have been in those exact words, but it was was the the theme was, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So my first birth was with an OB out of a large uh, hospital in Chicago, and they're very uh, medically based teaching hospital there. And I was induced at eight days past my estimated due date. um, And they manually had to break my water four times. Um, or they had to try to break it four times, which was the first of many fun things at birth. Maybe that was a sign that we just should have left it be. <laughs> and why? Why are you saying they had to? Why did they have? Why did they break it at all? Honestly, they just said that was part of the induction process. So I had the whole gamut of like the pill, the balloon, and even though I was fully effaced, they still did all of those things. And then they said, "Okay, next step is we're going to break your water." So I really, you know, I, I just didn't think to question it at the time. So I went with it and they had the midwife in there trying a couple of times and then basically she couldn't do it. So then they pulled in the OB and she was basically like, okay, brace yourself. <laughs> so Wow. What's that supposed to mean? Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just going to build anxiety. Brace yourself. Jeez. Yeah. Yes. Get ready. <laughs> Um, and then in general, I wanted to wait to get an epidural for as long as possible. Aches, I had a basic understanding that if I waited, the longer I could hold out naturally, the better the birth would be. But that's all I pretty much understood. Um, and I have a scoliosis. So I knew getting the epidural was going to be a challenge. And I actually met with the anesthesiologist for a pre-consult on that. So that was honestly like I was terrified of an epidural, um, but didn't really know of another way. So they had to try four times to break my water. They finally did. And they basically started to blast the Pitocin. Um, And at that point, contractions in a matter of five minutes went from like nothing to a hundred. And the back labor was so intense. And now in 
in comparison, it felt like full on transition. So my, I just didn't have a chance to adjust. It was very scary feeling. And so I tried to hold out as long as possible, but I knew again, the epidural was going to be a challenge. So I only made it about 45 minutes, which was still a lot, all things considering. And I made my husband like run down the hall and go find the anesthesiologist. I was like, I'm done. (laughs) Got to get this thing in. So they did have a little trouble getting it in. Um, I got like zinged once and then they finally got in the second time and it did work and numb my whole body, which again, they weren't sure if it would work at all, if it would do half my body. So thankfully that all worked. Um, I was able to relax a little bit. Do you mind um, if I jump in for a second, Katie? Sure. You know, when I hear a story like this, you know, it's so it's so hard to listen to women going through such a thing. It's just, it's so frustrating and it's so difficult. And I know our listeners get that. But the part that I always think about next is then the woman like you comes out of a birth like that. And all you can tell other women is that was brutal. And then all they can conclude is, oh my God, it's true. Childbirth is painful. And you mm-hmm. didn't even get to experience one iota of labor as nature intends it. You experienced a completely chemical, mechanical combination of procedures that were done onto, like done unto you. But anyway, I just w- I want to say that that's just so important because it it's like this self perpetuating problem. Now we come out of it, and all we can say is that, oh my god, that was terrible. And that, oh my god, I don't want to try a natural birth. I want an epidural. It's just, it's such a shame. It's such a shame that you went through it as an individual. It's just, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with it, but just that's always where my mind goes, that all you can do is come out and think, wow, childbirth really is hell. It's brutal. Well, and I think that's what probably messed with me even more mentally was I was like, but I want this to happen naturally. And they only let me go, you know, so long after my due date. And it was just like every decision was kind of taken as it went on. I was just going to comment a little bit further on what Cynthia said. It's because anytime anything goes even slightly outside the norm, we were just talking about this on Instagram today, that you either get lucky and your birth falls into this predictable pattern that fits the mode of the protocol and the policy, or it goes outside the norm and then boom, the cascade of interventions begin and you no longer get the natural birth that you want, no matter how much you want it, because you have to fight against all these policies procedures, protocols, and it's called the cascade of intervention. And we hear about it all the time. And um, this is why women learn from their first birth. Absolutely. So I think back to the, to the epidural, they got that in, I was able to relax for a little bit. And after a few hours, um, the baby's heart rate started to jump around a bit. The nurse warned me, she's like, I'm about to press the panic button, just try to stay relaxed. So she hit the button and about like 15 people swarmed into my room Um, they just basically all manually got me onto all fours, put oxygen on my face and they're all just talking and it was kind of chaos in the room. Basically, I think her heart rate had spiked too high. And so they were trying to slow down the contractions because she just wasn't responding well. Because they gave you too much Pitocin. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't have turned the pit up so high. And now they put you on your hands and knees, which I'm glad to know that they put you on your hands and knees, but why does it have to take a crisis to put you in a position that would have served you from the beginning? Right. If they know. And that the baby clearly liked. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Because then her heart rate slowed down. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out babies like so, space and freedom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? 
But yeah, so then after that, uh, I tried, they would try to reposition me a little bit. Every time they did, her heart rate would jump up and down. So at that point, I basically was stuck to my right side and I was terrified to move for the rest of labor because that was the only position that she seemed okay with. So kind of fast forward, the rest of the labor was fine. My my family was in the room with me trying to keep me distracted as they could, which was so sweet. Um, and then I basically felt the pressure and alerted the nurse who brought in the OB to check me. And they're like, okay, yes, you are 10 centimeters dilated. One other thing to add to, which I thought was interesting, it is what it is, but the OB that was, basically there wasn't even an OB on call from my practice. It was the, like the spotlight doctor through the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even get anyone from my practice. Nice. I'm like, I've never seen your face before, but okay, like you're doing In a way, it didn't even matter, right? Because what really mattered was the interventions that they were imposing on you, right? Yeah, from the start. Yeah. Or was that the person dictating all those interventions? Well, Uh, no, she, it it, uh, changed over to this other doctor. The doctor that was starting all the interventions was um, one that I had seen at my practice. All right. Who actually told, she made a joke. She was like, you know, just try to hold off until tomorrow at 7 a.m. And then I'll be back tomorrow and I can deliver your baby. What? Okay. Try to hold off. Let's give you as much Pitocin as possible so we can speed this up. Or (laughs) now let's have you hold it off until I get back on call. What the hell? How is this about them? Seriously. Yeah. But yeah, so then they checked me. I was 10 centimeters dilated. So they said, time to start pushing. Um, I pushed on my back of course, because they don't, they wouldn't let so you. So they had around. you on your hands and knees to resolve the crisis and put you back on your back afterwards? <laughs> yeah. Because they don't know how to help you push on your hands and knees and they don't know how to catch yeah. a baby when you're on your hands and knees. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science. So let's science. get you back into the position that we best, that makes us most comfortable, even though it wasn't good for your baby. Got it. Makes good sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so you just, you pushed on your back. So I pushed my back. Um, pushing was going really well. I was pushing in total for about 45 minutes and they said, okay, she's progressing. We can kind of see her starting to move down. I could not feel a thing, which was, it was frustrating for me because they kept saying push with every contraction. I'm like, I can't even feel the contraction. I have no idea what my body's doing. So it was kind of a guessing game as to, I think maybe I feel some tightening. Let me try pushing. Didn't know how to push. I think I was doing it all on my face and not where I'm supposed to. Um, but either way she was making progress, which was great. Um, and then at about 45 minutes into it, I had spiked a high temperature and they noticed that the baby's heart rate again was jumping up and down. And so that was kind of her signal. Okay. She came down with, or I came down with choreo infection, which I don't even really totally know what that is, but it's basically when you get an infection inside the uterus from too many vaginal exams, (laughs) too many hands in there. Too much stuff going up and in and not down and out. Usually it is related to that. Yeah. Oh, so then at that point, since they said, okay, you have a choreo infection, this delivery is now considered an emergency. So the doctor was considering, you know, C-section, forceps, um, and vacuum. And I was just kind of laying there, deer in headlights. I really had no idea what was going on, but I was terrified. And so she came back, she's like, okay, we're going to do forceps. I'll give you a couple more tries to push the baby, even though they can literally like see the head, like it's close. And at that point they called time and a resident actually pulled my baby out with forceps, 
which in retrospect, I'm still angry about that. Uh, but the forcep um, did go over her left eye. And so her eye was swollen shut for a couple of days. Um, and I obviously got pretty beat up from it, but you know, <laughs> it's just me. You're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like rather me than her. Yeah, I, you could, know? I could feel that <laughs> when you said that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We disagree. You both, you both matter. Um, right. right. We take too much. We take too much abuse thinking, you know, better me than anyone else, but that shouldn't have happened. Um, I think I just want to understand your your resentment or anger toward the whole situation with the intern. It's that basically they were getting their experience on you. Like, oh, here's an opportunity mm-hmm. to do a forceps, right? Oh, 100%. And the doctor, I mean, the doctor was coaching her through it, but they, I heard, I remember the doctor saying, okay, no, move the forceps a little bit to the left. And I'm just, I was completely frozen. I could not speak. I couldn't move. Um, I just, I don't know where I was, but I, I could, I couldn't, I, I wish I had spoken up and demanded that the doctor do it. We sometimes go into a little bit of a state of shock because it's just too much to take in emotionally mm-hmm. and you're yeah. holding your breath, waiting for the baby to be born. And, right. that's yeah. all and they've happening. told you that this was an emergency. So you're shut down in a state of your own self-protection as you're waiting for your baby to be birthed as quickly as possible under whatever circumstances needs to happen to get your baby out because now you're in a panic. Right. So I basically, I didn't get to hold my baby as soon as she was born. They whisked her over to the table to take a look at her. She did have a fever at the time, but so far she was checking out. Okay. And then, so after 15 minutes, I got to finally hold her, uh, only for 30 minutes though, because they had to take her to a special choreo nursery for, uh, antibiotics and to observe her for six hours. So I didn't really get to see my baby until the following morning, um, which was, you know, six to seven hours after she was born, which was unfortunate. I'm just going to say this because it's so frustrating because we see this so much and it really is infuriating to know that you were 41 and one, and this all started with an unnecessary induction. As long as you and your baby were okay, it would have been fine to let you go longer. And then the second thing is your bag of water didn't want to break, right? It didn't want to break. And they broke the bag of water and that started off this whole process. I mean, you ended up with choreo because they broke your bag of water and did lots of vaginal exams and you didn't see your baby hardly at all for the first six or seven hours because of unnecessary intervention. It probably led to the forceps delivery as well, because- Of course it did, because the baby got a fever and they needed to hurry up. I mean, you had a fever, so they were worried about baby. But there was also like a positioning thing, though, because the baby didn't come out easily. They wanted, they did the forceps because your baby's heart rate was getting um, out of the normal range because you had a fever, because you got choreo, because you got your bag of water ruptured too early. And then they had to extract your baby with forceps, giving your baby a bruised eye, going to a special choreo NICU or whatever, wherever they took her, all that separation unnecessarily. Classic cascade of interventions. Classic. Yeah. So many, so many in that cascade. You did have a vaginal birth. Yes, you did have a vaginal birth. It's a little surprising, and I hate to say lucky, but given this scenario, the odds of a C-section would be very high statistically. And n- none of this is the fault of you. None of this. This is the fault of protocol, policy, liability, 
and providers. Right. Uh, recovery for my daughter's birth was tough. I had a hard time walking for a week, I think because of the forceps. I couldn't sit straight and breastfeeding was super challenging. She actually wouldn't latch until she was two months old, but we, we made it happen eventually. And almost every night I would lay awake just replaying our birth experience and my heart would just race. And I would think of all the things that I should have, could have done differently. And honestly, I was just so mad at myself for not speaking up. I just had laid there panicked and a deer in headlights. And why didn't I say anything on behalf of me and my child is all I could really think about. Um, I felt like something was taken from me, but I didn't really understand why I was so angry about it. Because at the end of the day, mama and baby were healthy. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, well, you were looking at each other, but that's not going to help <laughs> the listeners right now, I guess. So we should comment on, I mean, you now know that we always, everyone always knows the most important outcome is a healthy mom and healthy baby, but by no means is that enough, right? And right. now you, that's exactly where you were. So now did you start to feel guilt at that you were even angry and resentful about what happened during your birth? Guilt? Because look at me, I have this beautiful little baby girl now and I'm still so angry. Oh, absolutely. I think that's what was so hard to identify any potential trauma I had because that's all you hear from other people is, well, you and baby are okay. So, you know, just be thankful. And how could I not be anything but grateful and thankful for everything? So yeah, that was, it was hard to understand and really put any labels to my emotions that I was experiencing until I started to kind of dive into things when I got pregnant with my second, which was when I think my first was about eight months old. I immediately knew I wanted a different birth experience, but I had absolutely no idea what that looked like. My girlfriend in London had given birth, had an unmedicated birth with a midwife in um, their birthing center there. And that was the first time I had heard of someone directly having an unmedicated birth. And that was honestly very inspirational to me and set me off on a journey for looking at some Instagram influencers and kind of bouncing around from different research resources. And then I did come across the down to birth podcast and the first episode about is a healthy mom and baby, all that matters. Exactly. Really just stuck to me. You know, like I was saying, that's the phrase I would hear, hear from people time and time again. Um, and it really just helped me to finally understand the way I was feeling, kind of put that behind me and decide I wanted to move forward in a new direction. And I don't know if it was in the first episode or a later one, but I remember hearing at one point, it was if you're hearing this and feeling emotional, um, you may have experienced birth trauma. And at that point, I was in my kitchen and I stopped and I was already sobbing. <laughs> so that was kind of what I needed to accept my feelings and, and move forward. And really at that point, it changed the total trajectory of my next birth. It changes it because it was probably the first time you felt entitled to a good birth experience above and beyond that of just a healthy outcome. You felt entitled, like it's your right. You said earlier something like you felt robbed. We hear that all the time. I spoke with a new client this week who just signed up for my class who was crying about her first two births that she had a few years ago. And she was saying, I felt robbed of my experiences. That is how we feel. Because on some level, you know that it's your right to have a satisfying birth experience and not to feel afraid and pushed and bullied. 
but yeah, it's like no one gave you permission until that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, you, you don't think of birth in that way because I think our culture has ingrained it in our brains that it's up to the medical providers to deliver our baby safely and you're on, in their care. And so I never thought about the fact that it was my like innate need to have this birth the way I wanted it. And that's what was stripped away from me. Because that's your, that's your innate birthing instinct to trust yourself. And when you go into that environment and you have a provider unnecessarily intervening, even if they're intervening under the guise of it being safer, instinctually, you knew it wasn't. Not to mention, they don't deliver your baby. That language is absurd to begin with. They don't. Well, that's how they see it. They, they'd love for us to see it that way. They can't deliver your baby. They wish. They can't. You deliver your baby. They attend your birth. But just that language starts to rob us of something that's ours. How dare anyone claim that they can deliver our baby? Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw-cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code down to birth. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, 
and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. So after kind of going full throttle into podcast research and all of that, I made the decision that I was all in. I was going to have an unmedicated birth. Yeah. And I knew one of the first things I needed to do from listening to your episode on finding the right provider was find a new provider. Um, I was with the OB out of a large Chicago hospital, and I knew I needed to either find a midwife or an OB that really supported natural births. Um, And this was probably the hardest step for me. I... I didn't have a lot of luck just Googling midwives and all of that. So um, really it, that was probably the the biggest struggle I think was finding a midwife. Um, So I eventually did find better luck looking for a doula first. And I found one on Facebook that had its own Facebook page with thousands of likes and reviews. So I felt really comfortable starting there because I figure they have all that positive rapport. They must be pretty decent. So I talked with the owner of that company and asked her for um, recommendations on midwives, which was awesome because then she had a couple that they worked with and always had good outcomes. So that's how I found my midwife. I interviewed the office manager of the midwife practice and I, I spoke with her for like over 45 minutes. I had a million questions. She was so receptive and positive, which honestly just made my confidence skyrocket at that point. And what's crazy is she actually, she asked what hospital I birthed that. And she told me I was the third call that week alone of people that birthed their first in that hospital and wanted a different experience for their second. So that is very sad. (laughs) She should have started a little support group for the three of you, the few of you. Really, you need to talk to people who get it. Yeah, it's true. So at that point, I had my doula and my midwife in place, and I was around 28 weeks pregnant. Um, My next step for myself was to find a hypnobirthing course. And to be honest, I was one of those people a couple years ago that thought it was, you know, some hippy dippy hypnotizing thing. And it's it's obviously definitely not. Um, And I found it extremely helpful with the breathing techniques and the visualization. So I practiced those every, as much as I could, probably not every day, but, and the, the education component, while I knew a lot of it from my first birth, it was helpful to be walked through every step of the way, kind of like the decisions I'd have to face. So I felt, you know, more empowered, um, during the actual birth on that. And my daily mantra for myself was I will have the redemption birth that I deserve. I said that one probably every day. And then I saw a Webster certified chiropractor to help with back pain and help position me better, wrote a very detailed birth plan. Um, and kind of had all of my, as, as much as I could, my ducks in a row for the second birth. One little tweak on the affirmation, I have to say, it, it always belongs in the present tense. It feels weird to say it, but I am having a redemptive birth. At every point in pregnancy, that's the affirmation. I am having a redemptive birth because will is this out of reach, right? So if that's ingrained in your mind, I'm having a redemptive birth, it's within you. It's like you embody it. So we affirmations are always in the present tense, as weird as it feels. Interesting detail, right? You know to keep negative words out of it. You never use the word not. You never use the word, right? But that's 
a fun little detail to make an affirmation particularly effective. It becomes a belief rather than a goal. It becomes a belief within your mind. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. So I think this is moving into the birth now. Um, So leading up to my son's birth, I was very anxious that I wouldn't go into labor naturally since it didn't happen the first time. Would my body be able to do it? And would I be strong enough to have an unmedicated birth was kind of the biggest probably fear of mine, especially because I didn't know what real labor felt like. All I knew was Pitocin labor. And my husband would joke that I probably don't have the best pain tolerance. So so that was, you know, floating around there. Uh, But I told myself this was the only option. And we were doing this for the benefit of myself and for the baby. Um, This pregnancy was harder on my body overall. And we moved when I was eight months pregnant. So it was just kind of a lot. And I thought for sure I'm going to deliver before my due date, which was a bad mindset. And so my due date arrived and there were no signs of labor. And so I really started to get discouraged. And then four days past my due date on Valentine's Day, I woke up feeling really down. I actually cried for like 30 minutes that morning. I don't know why. I was just very emotional and just didn't think that it was going to happen for me. And um, around probably noon that day, I started to feel like some really light contractions, but I just kept telling myself like, no, this isn't it. Like everyone would say, oh, you'll know when it's the real thing. Like you'll know. I know. Sometimes you do not know it's happening at all. (laughs) Totally. Never really got that until the very end, obviously. So I just kept ignoring it. Didn't want to get my hopes up. Um, We're moving into the evening and contractions are starting to pick up. Um, but they were all over the place time-wise, anywhere from like six to 12 minutes. So again, from what I read online, that's could be false labor. You just don't know. So it was, since it was Valentine's day, uh, my mom and her husband were actually over. We ordered heart shaped deep dish pizzas and I sat down and had a couple slices. Um, and at probably that point I, felt the intensity really starting to pick up and kind of told everyone, all right, don't let me talk myself out of this. Like it's, it's happening for sure. So they took my daughter home with them and I decided to, you know, try to take a shower and calm down a little bit. And in the five minutes I was in the shower, I had two contractions. So they were two minutes apart. (laughs) And so I realized, okay, we, we got to go. So we drove to the hospital, which, well, and I forgot to add too, I did call the midwife before getting in the shower and talked with her about it. And she was like, you know, I really don't know if this is it. You sound way too calm. Um, you know, it could be, and you're welcome to come to the hospital. And if it's not, you you can go home and finish laboring, but I'm not sure it's up to you type of thing. So at that point I, I was like, I don't know, I don't want to overreact, but um, then once they were two minutes apart, we knew that was, we had to go. Uh, it was blizzarding out that day, which I'll never forget. And we ended up getting a, like tons of snow when we were in the hospital. So that, it was a little magical, I guess. And that, so we got checked into our hospital room probably around 8 PM and the doula, my doula and midwife were still a little hesitant on if I was really in active labor or not. It's not uncommon in hypnobirthing at all. It's not that it's the goal. It's not that you have to birth that way. It's just not uncommon at all because you learned the tools to be less reactive, to keep your physiology relaxed. And that's what happens. You were practicing your tools. Absolutely. I think that was the biggest thing was anytime I had a contraction, I just kind of let my body go limp. And so I did look calm and, and it really wasn't, it wasn't that bad up until this point. I was totally fine. 
So yeah, they were, they were just, I think, very surprised. And the midwife actually said, I remember this, either you are, either you have the world's best poker face or you're not in active labor. And oh my like, goodness. She's had no <laughs> like, experience with this before. Can we just, can we just comment for one second quick? I know we keep diverting you from your story, but we the do. 40, <laughs> sorry. We are interrupting a it's lot. It's just in this, we normally don't do this, but for some reason, this story is making that happen today. You had 45 in your first birth, 45 minutes of tolerating of, of being in labor where you're like, I, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I need that epidural. Now your second labor, no Pitocin, no bag of water ruptured, your natural physiology, everything doing what it's supposed to do. And nobody even knows you're in labor. Can you just, I just want to make sure our listeners understand the difference. This is why unmedicated, undisturbed birth works and all women can do it because what you experienced the first time, you couldn't even handle 45 minutes. You didn't want to handle 45 minutes. And it had nothing to do with labor. And boy, see, even your own husband concluded something about your pain tolerance. That's a term I never use anyway because we know that it really isn't about what we're feeling. It's about how we react to what we're feeling. But see, it was like what we said earlier. You came out of that birth thinking that's what labor felt like. That was brutal. And here you are, everyone, even you, were guessing, like, is this really happening? And your midwife, the expert in the room, is saying, can't be. (laughs) Well, it be. (laughs) So what happened next? (laughs) So the midwife then asked if she could check me. Um, At this point, I hadn't been checked through the whole pregnancy, but she explained, you know, it'd just be a helpful gauge to know if you really are in active labor or if maybe you want to go home for a bit. So I did agree to being checked and I said, I did not want to know. I was like, don't tell me. I don't want to be discouraged. Like, I just want to let it be. So after she checked me, she had this like little grin on her face and she was like, well, let's just say you're not going home without your baby. (laughs) So I was like, okay, now I want to know. So, so I was between a, like a five and a six at that point. So we were, you know, fully into active labor and things were moving nicely. We did have the room kind of set up for ambiance. My doula brought LED candles. We had the lights turned off. I had this crazy playlist of meditation, hypnobirthing music, and really just trying to set the stage so I didn't feel like I was, you know, in under the hospital lights. Did it help? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And we brought like the speaker, we're blasting it. Blasting all the calm things, right? (laughs) That's okay. Loud meditative music is good. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia Cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top-notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. 
So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms. Do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. So I was a GBS positive. Um, I did decide to receive the antibiotics through IV, which wasn't ideal, but that's what I decided to do. So once the IV was in, I sat on a birth ball to help um, my hips open up and watched the opening blossom video on YouTube. I don't know if you've heard of that, but my hypnobirthing instructor yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, one. it's one of the visuals, the yeah. opening rose. I don't yeah. know if it helped. I think it might have because at that point, things started to open up. <laughs> it it does help. And that's what I used in my mind mentally in my whole first labor, uh, which was three hours from beginning to end, the moment I even wasn't sure. The reason is that when you picture this opening flower, the conscious mind is laughing at it like this is so silly that I'm in labor and I think picturing a flower opening up is going to help me here. That's what your conscious mind is saying. That's only five or so percent of your brain, of your mind. The whole rest of your mind is seeing soft, open, gentle, easy, just this opening, opening, opening. So your physiology is responding to opening. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you're on a massage table getting a really nice massage and the professional does a little experiment with you and says, I want you to think of the last time you had a really bad argument with someone or a really stressful day at work, or you were stuck in traffic when you had to get somewhere, you're not going to get a lot out of that massage. Your muscles are going to tense. We, we, we respect this mind-body connection everywhere else, but in labor, somehow we think it's not going to apply, but it does. Yeah. And at that point, um, the contractions really started to pick up. I started feeling a lot of pressure, um, back labor did start to set in again, which was kind of a bummer, but it's probably, a, you know, maybe something to do with my scoliosis. Um, it can happen in a precipitous birth. It can happen if the baby is posterior. There are various reasons for back labor. It's yeah. not always the least comfortable type of labor anyway. It, it's, it's sometimes manageable, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so they did, uh, my husband and doula were applying hip compressions, mm-hmm. which, which helped, but, um, not completely. And at that point, and then I got into the tub to labor. They had a tub available to use for laboring, but definitely not for delivery, which they made that very clear. My husband got in the tub with me and sat behind me and applied hip compressions. And pretty much as soon as I sat into the tub, my contractions like skyrocketed and the intensity was, was pretty high. Um, I didn't have much recovery in between. And I did reach the point in which my hypnobirthing course warned me about was you might feel like you want to jump out of a window. And if that's the case, you're getting close. Oh, wait, they <laughs> actually said that in your hypnobirthing class? That's a no-no. <laughs> nope. You wouldn't hear that in Cynthia's class. <laughs> you would never want to hear that in a hypnobirthing class. No one should talk to you like that because didn't that thought come to you in labor? Jump out a window? Yeah. It was the feeling like, can I can I keep going? Type of the thing. way we describe it 
and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, you know, this is getting out there and I want to make sure we're also refining information that we need to refine. Um, it's an, it's an understood phenomenon. I'm sure even Trisha knows it well, being a professional who studied this from the textbook side of things, that it's an, it's a normal common phenomenon for the mother to experience her desire to stop, to leave, to take a break or to take medication to change her birth plan. That's a normal phenomenon for her to have conviction that she can't do it anymore. It's typically the marker of transition. That's when you know that you're in that space. And sometimes that can take a long time. And sometimes that can be moments before birth. It's always a positive from a provider's perspective. It's always a positive. You're like, yes, you're there. There are probably other ways to describe that phenomenon. I never, I never would think of it that way personally. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, I think in the moment too, it's like, I knew that analogy, but you kind of question, is it that really that moment, you know? So in the moment, I wasn't sure. I just felt like, can I really keep going? But now looking back on it, oh yeah, it was the obvious marker that things were getting close to the end. So that's. Yeah. I think it's nature's way of, um, alerting people around a laboring woman when back in the day we didn't do vaginal exams or we didn't have technology to assess where a woman was or is in labor. It's nature's way of alerting the people around her baby's coming, you know, get, get ready, get her into a safe space, get things prepared for baby to come. So it's a signal, an important one. So yeah, once that kind of picked up, I suddenly had a a massive surge and felt a pop sensation, which now I'm assuming was my water breaking. And I immediately started to push. And I was obviously, I was not supposed to push in the tub. And my doula asked, you know, are you pushing? And I was like, I I honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. It's it's just happening. Um, And then I hear the nurse running in. She's like, you've got to get out, get out of the tub. You're pushing. Ridiculous. Go on. (laughs) These policies, Trisha's rolling her eyes. I had to put a word to it. Go ahead. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Dragging a woman, she's in mid birth, the moment of birth, and they're pulling her out of a tub from what is actually Mm -hmm. statistically a safer, more comfortable, more thriving. I mean, listen to our episode with Barbara Harper from Water Birth International in episode 100. And like everyone in the world would want to have a water birth after listening to the the data on it. Go ahead. Sorry. No. And I, this was one of the hardest parts of the whole experience was getting out oh. of the tub. Everything in my body was telling me, Stay. do not move. You are staying here. And I had to like forcefully put one foot in front of the other. So yeah, I, I agree. That part was not fun. Well, we always say if when every cell in your body is telling you to follow one particular course of action or to avoid one particular course of action, listen to it. Of course, policy would not allow you to. Right. But yeah. there are oops babies like, oops, baby just came out in the water. And I didn't know if that was where this was going, but they actually had you drag yourself out of there. I dragged myself out. Yeah. I finally got out of the tub and just kind of stood next to the bed as, as, as far as I could get at that point. Um they, the midwife came rushing in and she actually got, she asked if she could check me again. And she got down on her knees and was trying to check me from above. Um, but she really couldn't get a good gauge of, uh, how dilated I was. So why she, was she checking you? You were pushing a baby out. What's going on? They, they like to confirm that you're fully dilated Stop. before you actually start pushing. Get out of there. And your memory, your memory, the chart, the chart needs the info. <laughs> yeah. 
the chart. The chart's just going to have to not know a thing or two. Good luck. Okay, keep going. Yeah, she she obviously couldn't get a good gauge on it because that was not an easy way to check someone. So basically, she's like, "If you feel like pushing, like let's do it." I'm like, "Well, I think I already am, so we're we're good." So uh, I did. I got into the hospital bed and I kneeled on. I kneeled on the bed with my arms draping over the top of the bed, and that's how I pushed my baby out. Um, again, the pushing sensations just kept coming over me. Probably every contraction I was pushing about three times and I was doing physically nothing. It just, it was the most surreal feeling because my body was completely working on its own in comparison to the first birth where I could not feel a thing of what I was doing. This was just purely natural. Um, and so I felt, you know, my baby moving through the canal, which was amazing. And, uh, eventually his head came out. And then at that point they kind of all started cheering, like, push, push. And so I got maybe a little nervous, like is something wrong? So I added my own push at that point. And then his shoulders came out. Uh, my midwife said, okay, you know, bend down and, and grab your baby. So I reached between my legs and I helped pull my baby through, which was amazing and pulled him up to my chest. And then I did feel a snap. Um, and his umbilical cord had snapped. Um, so there was, you know, kind of a little bit of blood and stuff, but I called it out right away. And the midwife kind of ran over to the other side of me, clamped it off and it, it was all fine. And, uh, they helped turn me on my back and my baby went on my chest and, um, we stayed like that for at least an hour, probably more. He, uh, latched right away, which was, you know, hundred percent different from my daughter. Um, and my endorphins were just completely soaring. I was on an adrenaline rush for probably like six to seven hours. I could not sleep, but I just felt so good. Um, it was, you know, night and day difference of, of how I felt physically and mentally from my first birth. And that was, yeah, my son was born. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live online, serving women and couples everywhere. You can email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com or follow us on Instagram at downtobirthshow. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thank you for tuning in and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. I think it was all mentally. I mean, while I felt the physical sensations of the second one, um, you knew, and obviously you learn this in hypnobirthing, but everything you feel is like a good feeling, you know, it's getting you closer to your baby. So it didn't feel like pain, right? It didn't feel scary. The first time around when you've got needles poked into you and things like that, that felt scary to me.